Hello and welcome to a special edition of Double Reel. This is an extra episode with some bonus content for the podcast, a bit like the DVD extras bonus disc you get along with the main film. Like those special features, this isn't essential content like the main episodes, but it does provide some additional material for the completists to get their teeth into. The bonus content in this case is a longer, uninterrupted version of the special guest interview from episode 2, James Adamson in conversation with James Adamson. Call it the director's cut if you like. And much like a lot of director's cuts, quite honestly, the best bits are in the original release version. But you'll be relieved to hear we won't be releasing a bonus extra of this with DVD commentary over the top, because that would just be a mess. A lot of what was left out of the original version is stuff where I was just rambling on a bit and tighter edit was needed to cut to the chase. And there were a couple of points where we started to talk about something interesting that was perhaps changing the subject a bit. Some of the topics we touched on are things we'll probably come back to in future, but for those of you who fancy a fuller version of the discussion without being cut in half and spread across the main monthly episodes, please tuck in. So welcome to this new slot on the Double Real podcast, which is an interview with my special guest, James Adamson. I don't get confused. My eldest son is also called James Adamson because we're so imaginative about picking names. Um, so welcome, James. Thank you for having me. Yeah, it's, it confuses me. I've been living with it for 23 years, so... So we we agreed, didn't we, that we were going to do a, a session together. We were going to talk about our um, best and worst experiences going to the cinema together. And yeah. I think we're pretty much unanimous on what the worst experience is. So more on that later, because there's a whole cycle <laughs> of that. Um, but in terms of best, I think, like me, you have a few to choose from that you're not quite decided on, or, or you know, need to think about. So why don't we go? Why don't we go best first? What's your best experience going to the cinema with me? it's hard to call this a best experience this one but definitely the best film we've seen in the cinema together is 12 years a slave it's it's just it it blew us away it's hard it's weird to say that it was best experience because it was you know a film about a guy the horrors that guy went through in the um in the deep south in the you know the 1840s and 50s but we were just absolutely gobsmacked when we saw it. it was just phenomenal yeah it's a tremendous film and we ended up seeing it twice together and i saw it one more time uh, without you so that's you know I saw it three times what, what I remember is the first time it's just an absolute kick in the head for two hours because the ordeal of someone being enslaved is just absolutely you know horrific to endure and you know you're not enduring it. you're watching someone endure it but even so it's one of the most intense yeah. experiences you watch it a second and third time it's still as powerful but you, you start to realize what an amazing job they did at the film as well when that's Steve McQueen's like third film wasn't it and he he did just such a, an immense job, uh, you know, just the the what he shot, the way he shot it, absolute control, it's absolute phenomenal piece of work. So, um, yeah, I mean, definitely that's got to be up there as one of the best best things we went to see. The first first time we saw it, you just you get kind of overwhelmed with the amount of stuff that's just kind of thrown your way. It's you know, it's this guy he's a normal free black man in the north gets taken down the south and he's thrown in slavery and he gets whipped, he gets beaten, you know, he watches people get killed and it's horrible. And then the second time you watch it, because I remember, because we're both into our history, the only other film I'd seen at that point close to that era was Gone with the Wind, which yeah. is is very embellished. But in that, they show this, you know, Southern Belle who's, you know, she's got these wonderful gowns and she lives in this mag- ma- massive mansion, sorry. And yeah. in this, it shows the south the, the, you know, the deep south of America just, you know, dying. You know, the, the, lots of shots of, like, the willow trees and, you know, the 
just everything around them just felt like it was decaying, you know. Even at the point in the film, he has to be swapped out to a different plantation because, you know, the, there's like a, a rot or something in the cotton. But no, it, it was just a stunning film. Where there's that, that river or that creek near them, and it's just covered in, like, green algae. It's like the whole place has got a disease. Yeah, because you do, you do find with those kind of films that they kind of, like, kind of get caught up in the just like the kind of grandeur of it all. And this one, the, this film had yeah. nothing like that. It was just, this is how it was. And this is how terrible this place was. Um, yeah, absolutely. And, and I think that's, a, that's a, I think that's a deliberate choice by Stephen Queen to shoot it that way. I think you can either take it as like literally the South was dying at the time and ec economically slavery for tobacco and cotton was not um, really making that many people rich. And there was a lot of poverty and, you know, the, the, the North was much more industrialized. So you can take it as literally what the South was like, or you can take it as, you know, slavery is a disease and this this country has got a disease and you can see it like hanging off the branches of trees even. Um, but the, di the director made the choice. I mean, I personally think what he did, his, his command of what he put on screen is up there with Kubrick, no question. Yeah, uh, yeah, it was it was phenomenal. I think he was hard done not to win Best Director. I think, I don't know, I don't want to butcher his name, but Chouette Leggio for he was... Uh, hard done by to not win the Oscar that year. A great score from Hans Zimmer as well, who I didn't realise did it till pretty recently. But yeah, yeah, it's a masterpiece. It was Hans Zimmer's brilliant at making his music fit the film in a way that almost no one else can, isn't he? Yeah, but he also does it like it's quite not simple, but it's like it's not too much going on. Yeah, absolutely. But, uh, yeah, I think I think Geology Four was a bit unfortunate because that that was just Matty McConaughey's year, wasn't it? No, that was just the peak of the reconnaissance, wasn't it? Yeah, and I think we'll have, we'll have to do a session, another like guest session, when we talk in in future about you know Oscar injustices because there's, there's a whole lot to dig in there. Oh. But, I mean, I think on the gravity that year, and I know he did a lot technically in the film, but Stephen yeah. was such an amazing job. Yeah, I think at that point the Oscars are becoming to more of like dividing it up between everyone to make more money for the film industry. But like you said, that is another discussion. Um, yeah. Yeah, definitely. I mean, it was—it's just brilliant, and it's—it's it's a tough film. It's a tough film to watch, but you—you um, you know, it, you, you should watch it because it's—it's a—it's a document, like you say, a realistic document of a time that isn't really paralleled anywhere else. Yeah. Um, and when you do, you realize there's little things like you know the way the dialogue. I assume a lot of that dialogue's lifted from the book, and I again didn't notice it the first time because I'm just hanging on for dear life. But like the third time, there's dialogue between characters, and I'm like, wow, that that really sounds like the speech patterns from the 19th century. That feels like you're getting to hear how people really spoke back then. There's just so many things in there. It's just so brilliantly put together. Little touches, yeah. He's, he's very good at that. Um, Steve McQueen. But yeah, it's, it's, it is the best film we've seen in the cinema, but also at the same time, it's not like, compared to some of the other stuff we've got on this list, it's not like a film where I was kind of like, we didn't walk out of it and we were like, oh yeah, that was great. You know, like it was, you know, like you probably enjoyed like, you know, you come out of seeing, say, the you know the latest Avengers, and you're like, wow, that was you know the CGI, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. You're not blown away by that per se. And it's not like an enjoyable experience, but it is just, whew, yeah, you feel exhausted. Well, that's the thing. That's the thing. Though. The experience of going to a cinema can be great for a number of different reasons. I mean, like back in 1989, when I'm a teenager at school, but me and a bunch of friends went to see Roadhouse together, and I don't think anyone's <laughs> going to pretend that Roadhouse is as good as the slate. We had a good time that day because that film is. Mental, and we just had such yeah, a function. It, but you know, yeah, it's a different experience. Yeah, I mean, obviously, I have very fond memories of my first experience taking you to the cinema. You know, because my dad took me to my first ever cinema 
um, screening. I, I saw Star Wars when I was four. So I remember it was just after your sister was born. And I remember thinking like, let's get, I wanted to take you to a film. And I took you to see Toy Story 2. And I have great memories of that. I'm not sure you even remember that at all, going to see that. Um, I remember that cinema specifically. It was like that kind of old building, you know, like a kind of like a grand old Opry. You know, it was one of those buildings. Like, you know, high street walking style, wasn't it? Yeah, but I don't, I, rem I obviously remember the film Toy Story 2. I, I mean, I have got, you know, quite a, you know, strong memory, but I don't fully remember going. I, I remember the place. We used to go like every Saturday or Sunday for the kids club at the mm -hmm. cinema. Yeah, that's right. And I think that's why you remember it, because we went quite a few times, and I think you remember yeah. it some blanks. I mean, I've got really vivid memories of going to see Star Wars when I was four, but then I've seen that film so many times that my mind could be filling in filling in the memory blanks for me. And I think it's the same for you as you've seen Toy Story enough times in yeah. that cinema. It's kind of, it's great experience. I mean, I'll tell you what I remember. I remember you were really little. I mean, you were probably three and a bit, maybe three years, three or four months, so really not, you know, really tiny, really thinking about it, and you'd been to see a stage show for kids, like a sooty show or something like that, so you, I think knew, I remember you, understood, that. Yeah. you understood the concept of sitting in chairs, and there being a curtain, and there's going to be something behind a curtain, and I remember you saying, Dad, what, what show are we watching today, and I think that was your reference point, and then the curtain drew back, and it was a film. And it was a whole new thing. And there was a trailer for that Tarzan film they did, which looked quite good. And there was a trailer for Disney's Dinosaur, which, although it's a an average film, the trailer shows the one good sequence in it, which is the... The, the opening. The, the, yeah, the, 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 the herbivore dinosaurs being chased by predators and that egg being picked up and dropped over a waterfall. And I remember you gripping my arm because the predators were chasing the people and that looked quite intimidating. And then just letting go and watching the screens as the, the aerial shots of, of the egg were there. And I remember thinking, oh, yeah, this is great. You're buying into the experience. Unfortunately, you don't remember much more than that from the day. But I'm glad I'm glad you got to see a good film on your first, first trip, you know? Yeah, same. Nothing, not, not anything, you know, crap. I think that's different nowadays. I don't know if it's just because I've not fallen out of love with the cinema, but it just seemed like they churn out a lot of films that just aren't very good. Like, yeah, I know. I mean, it's all, especially when there's all these great Netflix series and stuff, it's almost like there's better yeah. work happening there. Well, that's the thing. Like, I don't know if it's just me getting older, but I'm glad I went to see Toy Story 2 because I've got another Pixar film on this list. We went to see um, Finding Nemo together. Yeah. Um, and obviously, that's a good film. You could put so many, um, so many um, Pixar films from that. We went to see Monsters Inc., we went to see Incredibles. Um, yeah, we went, what else? I'm, I'm sure we're missing another one. But I'm pretty sure, sure, I'm sure. I'm sure I took you to Cars. Okay, Cars. Did when, did, when did Cars come out? When did Cars come out? Is that about two thousand and three or something? No, two thousand six. But Cars is shit. Um, cars is just. I don't have fond memories of Cars, but yeah, I, I, the thing the thing that's most frustrating about Cars is that it took twenty five years, twenty four years for there to be four to four Toy Story films, and it took six years for there to be three Cars films, and none of them are good. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, and I mean, I, I don't mind the first one, but I agree with you that the, it's not their not their finest hour by any stretch. Yeah, I mean, obviously, we went to see a lot of kids' films, and I think there, there were a lot of great experiences because it was like it's Saturday, let's go to the cinema together. And I remember we being really excited about going to see, you know, going to see a film just because it was a, a trip, a day out in the cinema, and everything. And I think that's always got fond memories of that. In terms of other films, you, we we, uh, we went to see Dark Knight together when, when the year that came out, so that was pretty awesome. 
Yeah, that's it. We, we didn't go to see an IMAX, though, which I think is one thing I regret is not getting to see that in IMAX. So I think it would have been that opening scene there with yeah. that heist. But no, yeah, still- yeah, the two, I mean, I, I did go and see a, a Nolan film. I saw The Dark Knight Rises in, the, in, in one of the IMAXs in London. I think it's the one in Swiss Cottage, and that's rubbish. Don't go there. If you're going to go and see something in IMAX in London, it's the Empire Leicester Square. I think it's called something else now. And the one down in Waterloo, the proper IMAX. Um, the map is yeah. yeah. Yeah, I don't know. Because that, that was the first serious film that I'd, you know, properly got into. Like, I'd watched films, but as a, as a kid, you watch films differently. But I think I was 11 or 12 when it came out. And it was just like the first, you know, masterpiece of a film I think I've I've seen. It was... You know, from start to finish, I can't find a fault with that film. Yeah. And I I like that era for you because I remember it was probably the year after maybe, but it was definitely the era that you were starting to watch films for that reason more. Yeah. And we went to see Invictus uh, that Clint Eastwood directed. Now, Invictus is, it's quite good. Um, it, it, you know, it's not going to go down as Eastwood's best film or the best film of that year, but I still really enjoyed it and I had a, Big sort of big emotional response to it because of the, the era I lived through. But I yeah. remember really enjoying going to that film because you said you wanted to see this new film that Clint Eastwood would had directed, and it was a new era for you of starting to pick out directors and reasons to go and see films and stuff like that. And I remember thinking, oh, this is great. We're not to, you know, we're not just going to see the latest cartoon. We're actually starting to watch things yeah. together and really appreciate them. I really are. So although that's not a I'm going to try and enjoy the film. It's quite funny watching Matt Damon trying to look like a South African. Listen to your country. Sorry, <laughs> oh, no, no. Having played rugby, watching that, that's not what rugby matches look like. My only references for South Africa are that accent and Oscar Pistorius saying, me lady, that's it. <laughs> Um, I have good good memories of that. Another film I have really good good memories of that we went to see together was Mad Max Fury Road. Oh, yeah. And again, that's another one. We didn't even go and see it in like a particularly massive screen. I think it was that Lee Valley multiplex where it was it was, it was a decent size screen but not massive. And it, yeah, it was very very small. I just remember you and me going to see it, and there was that great car chase. That doesn't even narrow it down because there's so much. And it was a bit where you and I, after the car chase, looked at each other. And breathed out as if we hadn't taken a breath for like four minutes. And I remember thinking, yeah, well, we are in the presence of uh, a terrific cinema experience right there. Yeah, that it was just, yeah, you have to take a breath in that film. It, I think the thing that's most incredible about it is that it's, you know, almost, I think 80% of it is, you know, natural scenery. And they mm-hmm. just did some, like, touch up to make the, was it Namibia? It was definitely somewhere in Africa where they filmed it. And they just did like a touch up to enhance it. So it's it's just it's I, there's so much to say about that film. Ironically, from a character who doesn't say a lot, there is so much to say about that film. It's well, that's the brilliance of Mad Max. He, he doesn't have a lot of li- lines of dialogue in Mad Max Two either. Yeah, so that's why I mean, brilliant. He took Mad Max Fury Road and he basically took all the other films that he'd done, and he just said, "Right, I'm going to make this the most Mad Max film it's possible to make," and he just. Knocked it out of the park. He's seventy years old. It's been been thirty years, and everyone's going. You're doing another bad match. And then why? Yeah. Went, Fucking hell! This is good. Oh, it's just didn't brilliant. Like the, they, it didn't do it in three D either. And yet I've got memories of like like tires, burning tires flying up in the air and stuff, and just really, really, and the visuals like nothing else. Well, yeah, it, it swept up at the Oscars as well, didn't it? Which is incredible for a film like that. 
Yeah, I mean, that's, I mean, obviously, the it did really well with the technical awards and everything, but I, it won costume design as well, which is quite cool. Because um, normally they'd give that to a you know a costume drama or something. And I thought it was great that they that it won for that. Um, look, I, I, I would I would not have considered it an injustice if, if George Miller had won Best Director and 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 that film had won Best Picture that year. Because I, I think that film absolutely smashed it. Yeah, it won all of like the typical. It won six. It won. I've just pulled it up. No, it's one. It won like editing, production design, costume, makeup, sound, and sound editing. Um, yeah, it's it. It just it just left me speechless because I didn't really. It doesn't really have like it has a structure, but it doesn't have like a like you know like it has. It doesn't really have acts if you know what I mean. It's just you know it starts at the um. What's, what's the main guy's name? The main, Max the main not Max, oh, the, the, villain. Mm. the villain, the villain. That's the one. Oh. It, it, it just yeah. started there, and then it's just like boom, off we go. That's it. <laughs> yeah, yeah. He's always, he's always done that with his films. Is that he doesn't fill in a huge backstory. He just trusts the audience to kind of um, pick it up as you go along. Yeah. It, it, what was the in 2015, didn't it? Yeah. So it's one of the more recent films we've seen. Um, was it, what was it up against, like The Revenant and stuff like that that year, which is. Um, I, I like the revenue, but maybe I've just got fonder memories of Mad Max because I saw it with you. But I didn't think the revenue was as good as Mad Max. I think Mad Max was just incredible. You know, it just it grips you by the balls and you know doesn't let go. Um, underrated. Charlie Theron doesn't really get spoken about from that film. But I thought she was really good in that. Yeah, I mean, I, I'm, I'm going over things I've said in, in the previous podcast, but having seen her in that and a couple of other things, it is odd to watch her go in the Fast and Furious uh, film that she did and be standing behind a desk pushing buttons when you've seen her taking part in some of the best fight scenes and car chases that I have ever seen film. I thought she was, I thought she was tremendous. Yeah, you've gone from a well-written film and a solid script wearing braids and Vin Diesel going, family. Yeah, Spot won the best picture that year, not Mad Max. Uh, Birdman, um, what? Uh, yeah. Did Revenant not win? Oh, well, Spot, that's, Spotlight is a worthy winner. Spotlight is awesome. Yeah. Um, I think I saw that with Mum, but not, not you. But that was... That was that was good. Um, what else have I got here? Um, There's one that I wanted to, wanted to discuss because I wasn't sure whether... No, I'll let you go first. No, you go first. So you mentioned Gravity earlier, and I've put that down as a film we've watched because you'd seen it, and then you took uh, me and Grace, my sister, and um, I remember you saying it's only ninety minutes, but you're going to come out and you're going to be emotionally drained. And I, I was, I was sweating in that film. Yeah, you know, I, I was like, <laughs> that, was the, that was the that was the year of sort of um, escape films because I think Captain Phillips came out that year, Twelve Years a Slave came out that year, and Gravity came out that year, and they all had a similar kind of plot line. I am now in this big shit. How am I going to get out of it? It's based on the storyline of those three films. I draw the link between 12 years of slave and gravity. <laughs> purely, purely in terms of like, like narrative structure rather than thematically <laughs> in any way. Definitely gravity. Oh, no. Those had very similar storylines in the sense of you know horrible situation. You're just watching someone gritting their teeth trying to trying to escape. Yeah, I thought gravity was really good. I thought Sandra Bullock was really good. Funny enough, um, Dev, my wife, your stepmom, she watched almost all the films where women were nominated for best actress that year. And right, 
And I think that was the other Kate Blanchett one for the Woody Allen film, Blue Jasmine or whatever. And I remember Deb saying she, she saw all the performances and she would have given it to Sandra Bullock. And I thought, oh, the, the one I wanted to mention was um, not necessarily, uh, well, good experience, bad experience, I still can't decide. And that was Batman versus Superman, Dawn of Justice. Because it's clearly a terrible film. But it's I, it's one of the memories of watching it with you. Uh, well, yeah, but not for the, the reasons that you would assume when you go into a film, because it is utter shite. It's, there's, no, there's nothing redeemable about that film. You, 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 could, you, could, you could be the biggest fan of the DC universe and you cannot come into that film. The film is just terrible. It shows you Bruce Wayne's backstory again. Yeah. Um, it's just it. The main criticism of superhero films was um, stuff like, you know, too much collateral damage, having like supernatural villains and stuff like that and Zach Snyder went no fuck it I'm just going to do the complete opposite of what people are looking for same year as Civil War came out which was entirely about dealing with the collateral damage of the actions of um, and superheroes and each other instead of the you know and instead of uniting against the common enemy all that sort of thing yeah yeah but I think the bit that the bit that made it an enjoyable experience for us was when Bruce Wayne has his dream sequence because Batman has those type of superpowers now it's, it's not just his wealth that gives him his powers but he has that dream sequence where the goblins are you know following him and they're telling him beware of superman and that spurs him on to go and fight superman and you know find a load of kryptonite from the bottom of the indian ocean and in the middle of the goblins you know wrestling him and you know giving bruce wayne a bit of a bad time i there's a bit of a pause for you know there's loud noises music there's a bit of a pause and i hear you go oh fuck <laughs> What I remember is that some some part of my reaction to that scene had you laughing so hard that you were drowning out the film, and that's not a quiet film. And you went outside to finish laughing because you were worried about disturbing <laughs> the other punch in the uh, auditorium. And so, uh, they, ironically, the other people that were probably disturbing my laughter didn't care because they probably fucking hated it as well. But yeah, that that was a shit film. You just audibly went fuck off, and I was pissing myself laughing to the point that I don't remember the following five minutes of that film because I had to go outside and to go for a piss. Yeah, it wasn't for cinema cinematic value terrible. For comedic value, watching with a family member who absolutely hated it, one hundred percent ten out of ten would watch again. Um, Two, I've got three more films on my best list and then we can get into the worst because the worst right. is here. So I have one that we saw like three months ago which was Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. I don't think it's anything near what Tarantino's best film is especially given that um, how much I like Django Unchained even though I was too young to see it when it came out in the cinema. I didn't see Hatefully in the cinema but I did enjoy it when it came out and obviously yeah. I was too young for Inglourious. That was the first Tarantino film that I'd seen in the cinema. And yeah, I really enjoyed it. It was totally different to what Tarantino does. It's not as violent. Um, yeah. It's not as gory. But it was, it, was, it was really good performances across the board, especially from Leonardo DiCaprio and Brad. But I think that performance in Once Upon a Time in Hollywood is better than what he won for The Revenant. And I'd say not on a par with Wolf of Wall Street, because Wolf of Wall Street is a very good performance. Um but yeah, I Leonardo DiCaprio could have easily have won an Oscar for Once Upon a Time in Hollywood, in my opinion. Um, I, I mean, I, I go along with that. You know how good his performance was. I think what I liked about his performance is that it's it's always quite easy to emotionally connect with someone who's on the way down 
and you know struggling with that and struggling with who he is and, and all of those things and he did a really nice job of still trying to perform and still trying to have a career even though his best days are behind him and you kind of you kind of felt for him while he was going through all that and I you know more so than some of the Wolf of Wall Street where you don't really need to feel any need to sympathise him with any at any point you know yeah because he's a piece of shit yeah. um, but no I, I really liked it and the final 15 minutes of that film are pure chaos it's bonkers and I love it it just yeah, yeah, I mean, I've, yeah. I've got good, good memories of that. A, because we went to see it together. B, I think it might be the last thing I went to see in the cinema before lockdown, because for the first three months of this year, there was just so much else going on. We didn't really get out to see anything. Um, uh, so, you know, so I do look back on it like that. And I mean, look, here's, here's what I think about Tarantino. is I went into Once Upon a Time in Hollywood knowing that it would be long and that there would be bits that I would have preferred him to skip past. But I just sort of went, look, he's Tarantino. This is what he does. Just accept, accept it and enjoy it. Do you know what I mean? And I did. I did genuinely enjoy it, knowing that he would spend a lot of time reproducing, you know, TV shows that he loved when he was when he was young and everything. And just go, look, he's Tarantino. He does that. I thought, I thought Brad Pitt was excellent as well. I thought Brad Pitt was really good in, you know, in the part that he played. And he's... He's only made a few genuinely unentertaining films altogether, Tarantino, and he's always good to watch. Yeah, uh, his, his knowledge of the film and TV industry is evident in that film. It is literally his love letter to Hollywood. Yeah, his knowledge. But a nice little segue, because that ties me into my next uh, best film that we saw together. I think this one's going to blindside you, but we went to see Social Network together. Yes, we did. No, when I went to see it, I didn't really get it, because I was... Mm. 14 maybe 13 14 at the time and it is a bit boring it is about you know that lizard who created facebook but um going back on it it is it is really well done and tarantino himself said recently that it's the best film of the last decade even though he's wrong and has made better films than that film in the past decade but no i really didn't go um it's interesting i, I think i'll give i need to give another rewatch but no it, it is a good film it's um it's an interesting topic to pick david fincher does that he yeah. his project you can't pick, you can't just, uh, like determine what he's going to do next. Like he does seven, and then you know he does um, the girl with the dragon tattoo. He does social network. He uh, he can't make his mind up on what genre is, which I think is interesting. But no, I uh, yeah. hands down enjoyed social network. What I what I say about David Fincher is that he always does an absolutely superb job of every film he makes. Because his output is so varied, you find yourself more or less interested in the next film that he does, if you see what I mean. Because he'll yeah. do something absolutely, oh, yeah, I love films like that. And David Finch is doing a film like that. This is going to be amazing. And then he does, um, like Benjamin Button didn't really do a lot of that. I can't fault the thing that David Finch did with that film. It's just not a story I, I found myself particularly interested in watching. Um, Social Network. The one thing about Social Network, again, it's another one I enjoyed watching with you because it was you picking out directors and films and things and, and watching films for more than just let's just enjoy the next big like multiplex thing. It's about, you know, you know, appreciating something like, you know, a David Fincher film. But at the same time, I remember I have a personal annoyance with films based on true stories which mess around with the facts. Um, I don't know. That's me. that's a, that's a bit of a thing of mine. I just think, well, why do you why do you make up something happened that genuinely didn't happen? But like you, thinking back to that film, I think you got a lot of things absolutely spot on about the rise of Facebook and the kind of person you have to be to 
to, to gain that kind of power and the way the world has changed as a result of, of, of Facebook and everything else. And uh, Jesse Eisenberg's great. Justin Timberlake's great. Andrew Garfield is great. And it's um, surprising what a good job David Fincher could do of a film that has a lot of um, corporate takeover, boardroom discussions and stuff. And yet he made it all really kind of come to life, didn't he? He made it interesting and engaging for something there is a lot of sitting down and getting in trouble. Yes. Um, yes. For a guy, yeah, it's wild. It's, I can't believe that that film is still has some relevancy today. Because, you know, Mark Zuckerberg started out as a guy who just wanted to rape girls on campus after he broke up with his girlfriend, and now he can rig elections. Yeah. Um, whether, whether he wants to or not, he rigs elections. Yeah. Um, but no, David Fincher's had a really interesting career. And yeah, he, did you know he's, he's not won an Oscar? Um, which is back to right to know has as a direct no I don't, don't think it's one in general it's been nominated no. twice um, just been nominated twice for Benjamin Button and Social Network which is a travesty given that he did really a fight club and Zodiac is, I think Zodiac was Zodiac. his best film Zodiac was awesome um, but yeah and my last one I think you know which one it is is uh, Get Out yes Jup I will never tire of watching Harvey. It's it, it's just so perfectly made, isn't it? It's like a Swiss watch. Everything just fits together. It's like <laughs> an elegant, like country house drama, but it's also a horror thing. It's also a comment on race relations in North America, and it just even if you're not interested in any of the political context, it is just you know he just captures everything. Like it's got all the lovely musical cues, like the sharp violin that's got you on edge right from the beginning. Bloody brilliant from beginning to end. Love that film. Well, it's crazy how it's still relevant, you know, given everything that's going on in America. And, you know, now there's protests happening in Britain over the stuff that's happened with uh, George Floyd, that, you know, terrible yeah. tragedy over there. But it's still relevant now. Like, even the end, I don't want to spoil the ending to that film, because in case someone hasn't seen it, but the ending to that film, because that man is a black person, you think differently about what could have happened to him compared but to if he was a white there's, man. There's a, yeah, there's a bit where a police car or a car with a siren that everyone assumed is a police car pops up and there's a look on the white person's face and a look on the black person's face as a result of that car showing up. And he's, and I remember watching that and going, oh, that's that's so good. At the same yeah. time as being in the story and gripped and going, oh, my God, he's fucked now. At the same time, I was thinking, oh, that's that's bloody clever, that is. That's that's just so well done. Well, yeah, I just remember sitting there thinking, oh, the, he's trying so hard to get out of the circumstances that he's in. And yeah. Then you see a police car show up, and you see a black guy, you know, and you just think, Fuck. like I was just kind of like, like gutted at that point in the film. I was just like, yeah. oh. exactly, exactly right. I mean, that, that, was was because that was your sister that wanted, that took us to that film, didn't she? Because she's the horror fan. She wanted yeah. to see Get Out, so we went. It was like her turn to choose a film. We went to see it. We took we took my mum and dad, and your grandparents along, who aren't big cinema goers, and it was amazing that the the, the, the the diversity of the five people that went to see that film um, to all be absolutely wrapped up in it. Yeah, it was just a, just a marvel. And did, did it won a um, best original screenplay, but it should have won everything at the Oscars and Globes that year. It was just phenomenal. Daniel Kaluuya was, yeah, excellent. Um, but yeah, now we're on to the... Yes, uh... now, we've got your brother, uh, my, my youngest child, Rohan, who's just three months sitting in on the conversation now. I don't think he's going to be making any contributions to the to the world of cinema, but uh, for, for the listeners at home, there, there, there might be some like baby goo-goo noises now, but 
given given that the style of this podcast has never been about the best audio and a lot of the a lot of the discussion is about fitting kids and babies and stuff into films, I think it's quite fitting that he's joined the conversation. Well, I'd rather listen to him gurgle and shit his nappy than watch the films that I've got listed. <laughs> well, this is so. worth it. <laughs> Yeah. Oh, here we go. So we've already touched on Batman versus Superman. Yeah. A pile of work. It's yeah. It's nothing special. But I don't know if you remember going to see this. I'm wondering if it gave you, you know, PTSD. Suppress this uh, from your memory. But do you remember Disaster Movie? Oh my God, that's a terrible film. (laughs) (laughs) So I'm pretty sure it's the worst rated film on um, IMDb with something like 1.6. Absolutely. Film. It's a spoof yeah. of films that the direct, that the makers hadn't even seen. A lot of those spoofs are based on trailers of the films that they're spoofing. It's absolutely yeah. Disaster, disaster movie is the worst rated film on IMDb, and deservedly so. It's an absolutely shocking piece of work. It's it's one of those yeah, that kind of goes here. The joke, the joke's coming up in a minute. You're going to like this joke. Here's the joke. Here's the joke, and we've delivered the joke, and everyone's like. Oh my god! Even, sure, sure. even if you actually yeah. heard any comic timing, that would still have been shite. Yeah, uh, if you if you haven't seen it, don't. <laughs> um, <laughs> but if it is on TV, you watch it for thirty seconds, and you'll understand why it, it it's terrible. There's nothing. There's nothing redeemable about that film. There's nothing that you can go and say, oh yeah, there's you know, it's a bit silly. It's shit. It's not funny. I don't know how it man. I, I don't know how it managed to get past the boardroom with corporate, you know, executives saying, "Oh, what are we going to invest money into?" And they thought, "Yeah, fuck it, we'll do this because it's terrible. It's awful." Yeah, I hate that. Yeah. Um, I'll save this one till last Agreed. and the one after it because it, it, they tie in together. But this is—I don't know how you'll feel about this. But we went to see Monsters University together. Yeah, I fucking hate it. I can't say. That- Hated it. I think it was a come down from the first film, and I certainly didn't come out of it like you know enjoying myself or anything like that. It was a. I would certainly say it's an unnecessary sequel. I, I didn't. I didn't feel strongly about it. I just. I think Disney now has this problem with them now making films that they don't need to make. Like Toy Story Four, didn't need to happen. Yeah, I mean, I thought the job at Toy Story Four was no need to make it. I think they when you've when you've done possibly the best trilogy of all time, you don't make a part four, surely. Yeah, the ending to Toy Story 3 is what makes it my favourite film of the franchise. Yes. Um, and I was like, oh, okay, cool. That that blew me away. You know, it ends nicely with, you know, Andy, you know, giving his toys to, um, is it Molly or Dolly? Spoiler alert, we haven't seen it. It's yeah. been out for 10 years. Yeah. Um, and yeah, I thought, wow, that's it. And then they, they just kept, they kept churning out films that they didn't need to make. I didn't like Incredibles 2. I didn't like Monsters University. Um, I just, I did. It's one of those films where it's like, oh, we'll release it to make money to try and get that nostalgia feeling, and that's what they've done with the Star Wars films. Um, Do you get the feeling, and this is starting off on a thesis that might be a discussion for another time, that Pixar's attitude to making films, whether to do a sequel and what film they're going to make next, is different now they're owned by Disney rather than just working with them? Possibly. I, because interestingly, the films that I've enjoyed the most from Pixar after, say, Ratatouille and Up. Toy Story 3, because it ended this, the trilogy quite nicely. Yeah. It was it was rigged off perfectly. Yeah. Cars 2 or 3, whatever, whatever what it was, terrible. I, I liked Inside Out because it was an interesting concept and it plays into every, you know, plays with an idea of, you know, emotions and, you know, little touches like in the, 
in the dad's brain, he's more controlled by anger, and in the mum's brain, she's more controlled by sadness. I like little touches like that. I thought it was a clever thing to explore, and it's really good. Um, I haven't seen Coco, but I hear good things about it, and I, um, I think I might like it. But with that, they've done sequel after sequel after sequel. But yeah, yeah didn't I like Monsters. When they come up with a new story, they still do good stuff. But then they they do sequels that you that you feel like they might not have done before. When they were just Pixar, and they had almost like a almost like a mission statement that every film should really be like an absolute labor of love, and you know things like A Bug's Life. Yeah, but yeah, I mean, and then when Disney actually took over completely, there there has been more sequels, more kind of digging into the same mine over and over again, and. Personally, I think it, that Disney is the reason the latest Star Wars films have been a bit of dis- disappointment as well. Well, that ties into my next worst experience because I put Star Wars prequels, but question mark after it because of how bad the sequels have been. Now we saw Phantom. We saw Phantom Menace for its what ten year anniversary or something. I can't remember what it was, but I remember going yeah. to see it. Yeah. And we saw Attack of the Clones. We saw Revenge of the Sith. And when, obviously, when I would. Yeah, and I was like six when Attack of the Clones came out, so I was just in full Star Wars mode, you know, getting the you know the toy lightsabers, and you know just fully in love with the Star Wars universe. So I wasn't watching it from a critical perspective, but as I've got older, I've watched films more, not with more of a critical eye. And the prequels are shit, but they're shit for different reasons to why the sequels are shit. Yeah, so that's why I put a question mark because I enjoyed going to see them with you, but those films are terrible. Yeah, I mean, again, but I think not as, as an experience, I don't think you have to kind of say, put, put that down as a bad experience, even if the film was crap. But again, I, I, I have to admit, I enjoyed watching Star Wars with you. I remember looking at these and going, these aren't nearly as good as the originals. And, and I know that the films that you love from, from growing up are different kids' films than the Star Wars ones, whereas the Star Wars films were my favourites growing up. Um, but yeah, I, I mean, I enjoyed going to see them with you. But the Because um, the prequels are bad because they let George be George Lucas be the director and writer and that's you, you just let George Lucas come up with the idea that you get someone else to direct it and write yeah, it. Um, yeah, like but then um, Spielberg, you know, get Spielberg to do it and he'll he'll do a good job with the film. Um but what I like the prequels because what they're trying to say story wise is that this is Anakin, he's the guy that, you know, he turns to the dark side and it starts off with him you know, as this innocent kid who joins, you know, the the Jedi Order. And I agree with that. And then he, you know, he falls in love with Padme and that's why he he tur- not tur- like, turns to the dark side because he can't really be with her because she dies, except yeah. he's scared of the Jedi Order, etc. I, I like stuff like that. And I agree that, you know, that, you know, he becomes Darth Vader. I like all of that. I don't disagree with that. It's just done really badly. The dialogue's terrible. It's... Yeah. For you know, for George Lucas to write all these things about you know Padme and Anakin being in love, the dialogue—it's like he's you know isn't he's not married? Like, does he have these conversations with his wife, which is like I don't like that? It's just yeah. the dialogue shit. But I I I like what they're trying to do, you know, story wise, yeah. canonically. Yeah. But with the sequels, yeah, it's just to make an extra five billion dollars for Disney. And and I think the the interesting thing is there's not, and there's no excuse for this now because they work in the media and know what works and what doesn't. There are TV shows on, on television or on Netflix or whatever, and there are film series over on Marvel where someone has a plan, right? Someone says, this is going to happen, that's going to happen, that's going to happen. And they make each film or each episode as good as they can make it. But someone is in control of making the story like go in the right direction. 
And they didn't do that with the latest three. They did the first one where they went, okay, we're just going to kind of do a new hope again. I enjoyed it, but it's clearly just new hope again. And then the second Ooh. one, they went, well, we're going to throw out this thing that happened. We're going to take this storyline and just finish it in five seconds. You just think, hold on, hold on, hold on. You've got an arc, right? And you've just broken your arc. And, they, and, then, and then in the third film, they were kind of reacting to the fact that a lot of people didn't like the middle one. And it's like, to not to stand and watch all of the other films that have been made and all the other shows that have been made in the world right now and not think we need a showrunner, we need someone to actually have a plan for this story over three films is unforgivable. It's just it's just a, a schoolboy error by, by some people who should know better. Yeah, but they don't fucking care. Like the first one made like two point five billion dollars. So I imagine the, the sequels are made close to about five billion. Yeah. They don't care. They're just lying in their pockets with Captain. Yeah, I, that's why I put a question mark next to prequels because they're shit. They're not shit as the sequels, and I enjoyed going to see them, but they are terrible films. I think in that sense, it, they don't count as a bad experience because you enjoyed enjoyed seeing them at the time. Yeah. So another one you mentioned, Steven Spielberg and George Lucas, is Indiana Jones and the Kingdom of the Crystal Skull. Oh, God. Oh, I thought I'd block that out from my memory. Yeah, well, it's that bad that we had a bereavement in the family like shortly before we went to see that film. And that was still worse. That film was worse. <laughs> the, I knew there was something wrong when they had Ray Winstone doing whatever accent he was trying to do. And then Indiana Jones... <laughs> Indiana Jones survives being at the centre of a nuclear explosion by hiding in a fridge. <laughs> and you just think, oh, no... And the, the thing is, the thing is right if 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 George Lucas has an idea for a film you know he's prone to clunky dialogue and poorly poorly realized storylines but when Spielberg is the one who kind of turns it into magic like Indiana Jones was originally called Indiana Smith that was George Lucas's idea and George Lucas explained the whole thing it was going to be he's going to be archaeologist and have a bullwhip it's going to be like those old kind of adventure series when you were a kid and he's going to be called Indiana Smith and Spielberg said that's a great idea but I think he should be called Indiana Jones and that's why Spielberg is so good. But if Spielberg's off form and Lucas is 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 kind of like George Lucas, you've got no chance. And they just and then at the end you go, again, spoiler alert, oh it's aliens. Oh, for fuck's sake, it's aliens. It's oh, yeah. George Lucas. He's he did that with Luke Skywalker as well. He it was not meant to be originally Luke Skywalker, it was meant to be um Star Luke Starkiller. Yeah, Starkiller. Like do you know why do you know why he changed it? Why? Because it was too aggressive and it reminded him of Charles Manson. <sighs> How's this guy a multi-multi-billionaire? Mm. Could you imagine a Star Wars franchise with Charles Manson as the main antagonist? <laughs> the reason he would have been a multi-billionaire is because he realised how, how, what the merchandise was worth and no one else did. Oh, yeah. Like in The Rise of Skywalker when it's just um, those, they're doing that bit where it's like, oh, they fly now? They fly. They've only included those stormtroopers with the jetpack so they can sell the fucking toy to an eight-year-old. Absolutely. Yeah. That... So yeah. King, Indiana Jones Kingdom of the Crystal Skull. It was just. It was. It was all right. I, Shia LaBeouf. I don't know how to pronounce his name, but Shia LaBeouf gets a lot of grief for in that film. I didn't mind him too much. I reckon if, if the rest of the film had gone well, the idea of the mantle of Indiana Jones being passed on to him would not have been the worst idea. It's just that everything around it was just just broken. It was, you know, what it was all. It was a bit clunky, and it wasn't as good as Raiders or Last Crusade or Temple of Doom in that order. But um, 
Soviets don't make as good villains as Nazis. Uh, yeah, and but I didn't mind that, like having the Soviets, you know. Yeah, I, I didn't. I didn't mind the Soviets being the villains. It was just until they got to that Aztec or Mayan shrine hmm. temple, whatever it was, and then the aliens just fucking showed up, and John Hurt's carrying a skull that can control your mind. I was like, what the fuck is this? Yeah. What the, no, what? Oh, it's just at no. <laughs> these films take like years to make. At no point in script conference did anyone go. I don't think the ending works. No one, no one went. This isn't going to work. I, I can't. I kind of knew what I was getting into before I saw the film because one of my friends, um, Shouty Dave, had seen it first, and I, I was going to see it and said, "Look, what did you think?" And his response was just like one sentence: "Indiana Jones and the Phantom Menace." And I went, "Oh dear." <laughs> Less than succinct from Shouty Dave as always. <laughs> so, so there you go. <laughs> no, but. But Shirley Dave has a bit of a pessimism. I mean, it was like, it would have been, you know, you know, Grandad and I went to see Last Crusade together. And it was like, we'd seen the, you know, I'd only seen the first Indiana Jones films on like TV or home video and get to see one in the cinema was great fun. And getting to see one with you would have been really cool. And that's, it's disappointing when you go and see it and it's just not very good. Yeah, I would always take Shouty Dave's word on whether a film's good or not. Yeah, I remember when we went to, when we went to go to the Sunderland game, and he was he was a season ticket holder at the stadium at that time, and he, we just we all went to go to the stadium. And we were like, "You coming, Dave?" And he just went, "Nah, can't be bothered." <laughs> he went home. Nah, <laughs> and it's just paid and fucked off. Yes, <laughs> but I think that's that's what we need to do. We need to give it the Shouty Dave seal of approval. That's right. You get Shouty Dave to sum up the film in five words, and then put it on the poster. <laughs> just as just as Twitter handle, not like you know the Daily Mirror or anything like that. Just one star. It was shite, shitey day. Yeah. And now for the for the one that you we've been waiting for, shall we say? So this, so, this is unanimously the worst experience we've had going to the cinema together. And I think the reason we've saved it to last is there's a whole story around it. Bearing in mind, we had a bereavement for before Indiana Jones and the Crystal Skull, and that's still not our worst experience at cinema together. Absolutely. Just bearing that in mind. So, it was 1999, 2000-ish, when this film was about to come out? It was mid-2000. Okay, mid-2000. And it was the film Fantasia 2000. Now, obviously, I was like three or three and a half, four at this time. Three and a half. If it's mid two thousand, yeah, it was, it was so, summer. It was like July or August, something like that. So you were not yet full. So I was excited to see this film because it is Mickey Mouse, and it's Mickey Mouse dressed as a wizard, doing some you know random shit. So I was excited to see this film. So what cinema was it? It was. So, it's one of the films around the Tottenham Court Road area. It might have been called the Odeon Tottenham Court Road, or it might be called the Odeon something that was just off Tottenham Court Road, but it's basically there around the Tottenham Court Road Oxford Street area. It was definitely an Odeon. So we went we went to see this film. And what was the reason the first time? So what what happened was, given that this is the year 2000, I mean, the internet exists and computers exist, but it's not as prevalent as it is today. You don't certainly don't have a smartphone in your hand to book things. So I booked that for... Saturday or Sunday that week, and I booked it midweek um, over the phone. So we were all getting the tube in from Walthamstow, where we lived, down into central London. And we got there to the Odeon to watch Fantasia 2000. And they said, we're really sorry, the cinema's flooded. That screen, not the whole thing, but that screen is flooded. So you can't do it. And we said, okay, well, we'll let you in to watch 
another film. Um, obviously, it had to be a suitable rating for you. So the only other film that was on around about the same time, which was rated for kids, was A Monkey's Tale. Now, we'd not, you'd not <laughs> any going to see it. We'd gone to see something else, but it's on. It's a kid's film. It's an animated film about a monkey. Let's watch that. And, and we went in to see it. Uh, yeah, it's the worst piece of cinema I ever made. It's... It's one of those shitty French animated things that they've just dubbed over in English. So it's that horrible hand-drawn crap. It's way it's fucking shit. Now, bearing in mind, I'm three and a half at this time. My like, you know, intake of films is you'll watch anything at three and a half. Like, I remember you were watching South Park, and I just came in the room and started watching it because there's cartoons on the screen, and Mum gave you a row for it. I would watch anything, and I fucking hated this film. This film was terrible. And, oh, it was, and, and bear in mind, right, this yeah. is around about the time that films like Toy Story, Mulan, Iron Giant, and even Titan AE were coming out. And Titan AE is not a great film, but it looks amazing. The standard of animation is fantastic. So there was no excuse. It wasn't like the ability to make better animation didn't exist. It just, and it looked like it had been worn by somebody who can't even draw. I've not, I've not seen it in 21 years. And, and I still, I... I <sighs> So sure makes me visible. A good English language cast, the people who dubbed over the voices. It had Michael Gambon, John Hurt, uh, Rick Mayle playing like the cheeky sidekick evil monkey. The the, the thing that the, one of the things that was bad about it, apart from it being like badly drawn and not very well done, they hadn't put as much like effort into making it a good, compelling, interesting film. And standards are just higher for like a, a good kids animation at the time. And they have these really bad songs, like "To Be King, To Be King," and it's like, oh god, these people can't even sing, and they're just gonna. You know, stop and listen to them sing a song. The pace of the film was really bad. Do you remember that? I don't know how much of it you remember. Do you remember, like, one of the characters uh, falls into the ice and drowns, and another person is slowly poisoned? Oh, yeah, they're trying to poison the princess monkey. And you <sighs> spend a lot of time watching someone being slowly poisoned, and it's like, in another good kid's animation, you see people die, you see people ill, you see bad things happen, but they manage to show it in such a way where... You know, this is when someone's upset about it and, and a combination of music showing it that, that it does enable kids to watch maybe slightly darker things, but you don't kind of have to just sit and watch someone slowly dying on screen. It was really, really bad and inappropriate. So that, that, that's the thing, though. To, to, to make matters worse, here's the thing. I remember you watching it. I remember coming out afterwards and every other film we're taking it in the cinema, you were quite pleased about and excited about afterwards. And on the way home, we'd chat about it a bit. And you go, oh, do you remember that bit? You didn't say a word about this film on the way out. <laughs> you weren't even able to pretend to have liked any part of it. Now, just I think to, I was just going to make this an even worse experience. So what happened was tickets again. So I'm going through again. We used, used to buy Time Out weekly to get the cinema listings. You can just look it up on the internet. So I'm looking at cinema listings. There you go. There's Fantasia being shown at a good time in the middle of the day, Saturday, Sunday. I booked it over the phone. Same thing. Fantasia 2000. It, it was the same cinema, but it's like the end of the week. Oh, well, they must have fixed it. They're, they're showing this film again. It's it's all good. And we'll, we'll go and watch Fantasia 2000 this time. So the next Saturday or Sunday, the following weekend, we jumped on the tube, went down, and you're like, so are you going to see Fantasia time? We get to the cinema, we go in, and they say, we're really sorry, that screen is flooded. You can't see Fantasia 2000. And I don't know whether it flooded again or they just never updated the listings. But for whatever reason, we booked again and we were unable to see the film again because the screen was flooded. And so I looked at them and said, OK, well, since we've already paid for tickets, is there something else on that he can watch? And we looked at the listings and the only thing available to watch again was <laughs> Monkey's Tale. <laughs> Fucking Monkey's Tale! And 
I, I kind of thought at least it's at least you hadn't completely wasted your trip and you went, okay, let's watch it again. So we ended up watching it, neither of us wanted to. <laughs> <laughs> it was just as bad, if not worse, the second time. Now, a yeah. couple of fun facts for you about a monkey's tail, and I, I wasn't sure if you were aware of. Fun first fact. First of all, in, in the year 2000, this film won an award for Best Animated Feature Film. Fuck off. At the um, at the Hungarian Animation Awards. <laughs> and the other interesting thing about this film, which is probably a good thing to leave it on, is the music for this film. And I remember the music for this film being absolutely terrible, but the music for this film was by Alexandre Desplat. He's excellent. Two-time Academy Award winner, Alexandre Desplat, who's won two Oscars for a Best Original Score, Grand Budapest Hotel and Shape of Water. He did the music for that film, I assume, including the songs. Preparation for, for us talking about it, and it has blown my mind that he's won the music for that. That's a real blemish on his career. I'm on it IMDb now. It has 371 ratings. <laughs> bearing in mind, like you know, top films like The Dark Knight and all that have like 1.5 million ratings. Yeah, yeah. It has 5.7 out of 10, which is 5.7 points too high. I, that's it's very, it's very close to being disaster movie worthy. Um, yeah, I hate this film. The reason I didn't say anything on the way back is that I think I was resisting the urge to murder after seeing that film. I think I wanted to just go and punch some monkeys after that. That film, I hate it. I cannot describe how much I hate that film. And the fact that the cinema flooded twice and they didn't think, oh, you know what? We'll take Monkey's Tail off because nobody fucking wants to see that and we'll put Fantasia, the film that everyone wants to see in that screen instead of Monkey's Tail, infuriates me to this day. To Why didn't they just swap again. the screens? Oh, exactly. The you would think, actually, you know what, let's let's actually turn this round and, and of the two films we have available, let's say Monkey's Tail can't be watched. Exactly. Fantasia 2000 has a 7.2 rating and 33,000, nearly 34,000 votes on IMDb. So clearly more people wanted to see it and they, they made us endure that film twice. And as a result, Dad, as a result, Dad, I also hate Fantasia 2000 and that's one of the worst films I've had to see in the cinema because I, got, I went to see it after enduring Monkey's Tale twice. I was dead excited to see this film, but I saw it and I was kind of like, eh. it was It wasn't worth it, was it? It wasn't worth all that effort nope. to go and see it. It wasn't worth going through no. what we went through. Yeah, that is twice. I'm still baffled that we went to see it a second time. I, I oh, Jesus. I know, it's that film makes me really upset. <laughs> <laughs> makes me really upset. It has brought back some painful memories uh, going back over. It the really day. has. <laughs> But yeah, <laughs> while, while I think some of the films that we've talked about, it would be hard, you know, we would recommend you see them if you haven't. I don't think we're recommending people go and, go and seek out a monkey's tail to watch it. I, I doubt it's ever going to be on the television again. No one wants to see that film. So it's, it's, it's a bit like it's not like Hamlet, but it's like everyone's trying to poison someone and someone's trying to drown a monkey. Literally, just watch Harambe getting shot for 30 seconds and save yourself watching no, that film. Terrible, it's terrible, terrible, terrible film. But yeah, that is the end of my uh, best and worst list. I don't have anything to add. Did you have any other films? None of them is as vividly in my mind as that. So I, th I think we've covered that topic, haven't we? I think that's it, yeah. Well, that's all for this bonus episode. Thanks very much for listening to that and your dedication in getting all the way to the end. Look out for other bonus content in future as we're planning another guest conversation next month 
and may think of other special features to offer this lovely audience. We recorded the interview on Anchor and I mixed it and got it ready for release on Audacity. They're both very user-friendly and intuitive tools, so anything that sounded good was down to them, and anything that sounded crap was down to me. The music was Mistake the Getaway by Kevin MacLeod. I'll be back next month with another monthly episode, and you can stay updated on Instagram and Twitter, and by following the Double Reel Facebook page. Until then, stay safe, watch lots of films, and whatever you do, don't watch A Monkey's Tale. (laughs) 